Here we are again, Wednesday night. We're going to be back in Galatians chapter 4, and we are going to pick up at verse 8. I hope everybody had a chance to listen to, if you weren't at Sunday service, uh, I talked to some people who have listened to the podcast already. Uh, one person listened to it twice. I uh, asked them if they heard, had heard it yet, and they're like, no, I haven't heard it yet. So they, the next day they were listening to it, and then they ended up listening to the whole thing all over again. So this past Sunday's service, the song service, I thought went very well, very, very well. Everybody, everybody who, uh, again, just like we were talking before we started, uh, talking about being able to hear, watching a movie and trying to listen to what's being said. You got distractions. Uh, some some people read soft, and you know, on Sunday being in here, I was trying to to get out because when I was up here, I couldn't hear any of the scripture reading. I couldn't make it out. You know, the speakers are pointed that way, so I would I was trying to get out there where I can hear it better, but when it goes on the podcast or I listen to it on the CD and I have my earbuds in, I can hear everything really well. So I listened to it all over again. Even though I was here, I heard so much more, especially the scripture reading. I could, everything was clear. And um, everyone who sang did, everybody did really good. And how one the order of it was really good, how everything led. So Shara opened up with Scripture, the Bible. And that's what we believe. We believe in the Bible. I was talking to an uh, elderly man the other day, yesterday, and he used to go to a big, what was a very big church in the area years ago, but a pastor was brought in to probably a couple hundred people in the congregation, and then it just dwindled from there. Dwindled, dwindled, dwindled. And the reason was the new pastor did not believe that all the Word of God, all the Bible was true. He made excuses, like hard to believe parts of the Bible. He would say, well... It, the Bible was written uh, with a lot of things in it to help uh, make it more interesting. You don't have to believe every part of it. And this elderly gentleman said, well, no wonder. No wonder the church is, is, is falling apart. So he, moved, he went to another church, and that church continued to fall and fall and fall. And even today, it is barely in existence anymore. So... Um, very important that we understand that the Bible that we carry to church with us, the, the Bible that we trust in, everything in it is true. Even, even parts where uh, we might not understand or may find it hard to believe, with God all things are possible. So I believe all of it. I don't think there's anything in here. Even, even uh, 
something is something like Luke 16, where you have the rich man and Lazarus. People will say, you'll hear it, you'll hear it. Uh, preachers, people who talk about the Bible, they'll say, they'll, they'll call that a parable. Now, a parable is, you know, a, a sower went out to sow. A man did this, whatever. That's, that's a parable when there's no proper names or places in the parable but as soon as you throw in a proper name, someone's actual name, then you cannot count that as a parable. That's something that actually happened. So the rich man, his name wasn't mentioned because he was not as significant, even though he was great amongst his peers on earth, he was just referred to as rich man. But then there was Lazarus, who was very poor, who ate from the crumbs that fell off the rich man's table. His name was way more significant to God. So because of that proper name that's used, it's not a parable. We have to take that for it actually happened. Okay? So you can see where people can start, you know, taking parts of the Bible and saying, well, that didn't really happen. That was just a picture. Because there are plenty of pictures, types and pictures, but in the type and picture, the event actually happened. You know, uh, the servant of Abraham actually went to find Rebekah and tell her all about the son of the father, Father Abraham, the son Isaac. Isaac is type and picture of Christ. The servant, which I think was Eliezer, which his name wasn't even mentioned when he was sent because the Holy Spirit doesn't want to draw anything to himself. He wants to speak. The Father and the Son. That's all he wants to talk about. So even though we can pretty much uh, guarantee that it was Eliezer who went, we don't know the name, but he went. All that stuff happened in history, even though it was a picture of what was going to happen in the future. Okay? That makes sense? The seven churches in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, those seven churches represent different ch parts of the church age, but they all existed, and they all had those unique features going on in those churches. It just happened to be also at the same time, no one knew it at the time, but it was going to be uh, put in order in Revelation by John that would show the church age. And that goes along with the, all the teaching out of Matthew that we've been doing that goes along with it because Matthew is a very much kingdom of heaven gospel. It's a Jewish gospel and uh, we need to be looking at Mark and Luke which are kingdom of God gospels, Gentile gospels. <clears throat> and John, the gospel of John is unique and it really shows Jesus as the Son of God. Okay, back to uh, Galatians. Verse 8, Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. So, I'm, I'm going to be reading, I'll, I'll be talking about some things 
I'm going to be reading a little bit out of the uh, Believer's Bible Commentary. And I want, you, I want you to see something in starting with verse 8. Verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. I want you to think about liberty or freedom. Liberty has been surrendered. I'm going, to go, I'm going to go ahead and read through 11. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? He's, like, he's asking the question, really? Why would you do such a thing? 10. Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. So they had, their liberty has been surrendered. And verses 12 through 16, the heading on that is love has been suppressed. And then when we get to 17 through 20, you're going to see loyalty has been subverted. So when you... When, when you start to look at something else other than Christ to be godly, you try to keep the law instead of living uh, by grace, you know, faith in Jesus Christ alone, you cannot mix the grace and the law. And I say you cannot, you can do it, because they were doing it. But you, you're not supposed to do it. You're not supposed, if you try to commingle the two, you're going to have problems. I've been to churches when I was young, a young adult. I, would, I went to a church that they realized that people are sheep and they can be easily led. We have to understand that children, even though they might be rebellious to their parents, they're easily led by others. Okay? We have to understand that I might get myself in trouble. Women can be led by fear. You know, they can be turned by fear. Women more so than men. Men have their own things that are that are they have weak, big time weaknesses in. But every, people are every children, women, men. We're, we all have things that the devil will come in and go, okay, I know this about them, and I'm going to do this. We, when we, we were at the Cosmo track meet uh, a couple Saturdays ago, and something happened in the concession stand that caused the fire alarm to go off. I don't know, they caught something on fire in there or whatever, and, and all of a sudden, the fire alarm started to go off, and when that happens, and this is at William Fleming High School, and... You know, a lot, you've heard on the news, you know, a lot of things happen down in Roanoke. You know, bad things happen. People are a little bit scared of, of uh, that area. Well, the horns for the announcement system starts blaring. You know, beep, 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 beep. And, and people are, you know, looking around. Well, some of the kids all of a sudden started running across the field and running toward the other side to the stands, and all the other kids, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of kids there, all the other kids just 
followed. There was nothing going on other than the fire alarm got tripped in the concession stand. And people started to panic. There were, they, I saw girls, little girls, these are middle school girls, high school girls, they, that were crying. And their moms or coaches or whatever hugging them, trying to calm them down. Because they got so freaked out over this alarm going off and everybody running. They thought something terrible was happening. And, and Anna, we were walking away from all that, and Anna was like turning around, watching all of it, and she was starting to get freaked out. I said, Anna, calm down. Don't worry about it. You know, whatever, whatever the masses are doing, do the opposite. People are so easily led. People will look for somebody who will take leadership and give them some things to do and they fall right in line. I've seen it at churches. That's why I, you know, I was just talking about that church that I went to years ago. That's what they did. They picked up on the fact that people, especially people who had been hurt in their lives, they've gone through bad things, that they could be manipulated. And it was basically a church of being, they, the leadership wanted to control people and really what it boiled down to, they wanted the money. They really wanted the money. And there was a, another thing that I, I'm just not going to talk about. And it was very sad. Very sad. And, and so there were people, the leadership looked for people who were young, that were zealous for God, and they would, they would put them in a position where they had a leadership role to make them feel really good, and then try to try to use them to accomplish their goal. Now, I, was, I was sucked right into it. You know, back then, I was very much into you know, mutual funds and investing and this, that, and the other, you know, back when I, was really, when I was a young adult. And the leadership saw that and wanted me to use that to get everybody else, you know, and they got really big into tithing and how you're going to be blessed you know, all, what, all the verses that go into, you give more, give more, give more, you'll be blessed out of your mind. And, and most of the people there, they, they would give and nothing ever changed. Yeah. It, it, it was um, using the Word of God and pulling out certain things and, and how people want to see miracles. So that church was very into spiritual things because they knew... People need to see something. They need to see something different. And it, it was, uh, I, I feel like God put me there for a time so that I would see all those things and it would help me in the future, what, it, what he had planned for me in the future. So uh, another thing that they did is they, you, they, they really wanted you to speak the name of Jesus and the name of God in, in Hebrew. They wanted you to keep feast days and fastings. and So I, I, read, I ended up reading through Galatians one time. And I went, wow, I'm sitting right in the middle of a church that's doing exactly what Galatians is warning against. So we, we need, like Michelle said, uh, we need to know the menu. You need to know the menu. And this Bible is our menu. We need to know it for ourselves so that when people say something, they try to bring something in, we know. No, 
sorry, that's not right. Sounds good. I've heard it before, but the Bible says this. We need to be on guard. Now, what I, have, what I found out is it, when a person is truly born again, they want to give to God. They want to give in time, their finances. They just have a heart to give to the real things, the real needs of the church and, to, and for God's purposes. You don't need to beg for it. You don't need to make people feel guilty to give and all that stuff. It's, it's just wrong. So obser- <laughs> observing days and months and times and years. He, he's, he's criticizing these people for wanting to do that. You know, you, we, we have people, especially even though there's some great people in some messed up denominations. Some people would, would uh, you know, the Mother's Day message, some people, uh, if, if I just told them I preached about Mother Teresa, they, they look at me like I'm, uh, she's a Catholic, you know. <laughs> you know. If I talk about Desmond Doss in the movie Hacksaw Ridge, he's a Seventh-day Adventist. You know? Yeah, I know that. But he, as a Seventh-day Adventist, makes most Christians look pitiful. Most people who call themselves Christians make them look pitiful. So what? He grew up a Seventh-day Adventist. He believed in Jesus. He had some mixed up ideas, but look at what he did, what he actually did, saving all those people that literally beat him in in basic training and and getting ready to go to World War II. These men, because he didn't want to pick up a gun, they literally beat him every night trying to get him to quit and leave, and he didn't want to quit. He wasn't a quitter. He wasn't afraid of going to World War II. He wanted to go there and be a medic. And they beat him. And he ended up saving many of those guys their lives on the battlefield. He picked them up and carried them out. When he could have said, remember when you beat me up that night? Bye. But no, he had forgiveness in his heart and he grabbed a hold of them when they were surely going to die there and carried them out. He was a Seventh-day Adventist. Big deal. Yeah, they got some messed up ideas. They go to church on Saturday because they're trying to keep the Sabbath. And when I talk to them, usually the first thing I do is say, do you, is Galatians in your Bible? And I just want them to, I don't want to uh, bash them. I don't want to talk bad about them. I just ask them, is Galatians in your Bible? Read that. And Mother Teresa, she was a Roman Catholic. But she introduced people to Jesus all the time. Yeah, the Catholics got a lot of messed up stuff. Martin Luther, he nailed the 95 Thesis on the door, and he uh, led the Protestant movement. But there's still some very good, real Christians in the Roman Catholic Church. All right, I'm going to read out of the Believer's Bible Commentary. Now this is uh, verse 8. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. The Galatians, this is reading out of the commentary. The Galatians had once been under bondage to idols. Before their conversion, they had been heathens who worshipped idols of wood and stone, 
false gods, now they were turning to another type of bondage, bondage to the law. Nine, but now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? How could they excuse their conduct? They had come to know God, or if they didn't know Him in a deep experiential way, at least they were known by Him. That is, they were saved, yet they were turning from His power and riches of which they were heirs to weak and poor things, the things connected with the law, such as circumcision, holy days, and rules of diet. They were again putting themselves in bondage to things that could neither save nor enrich, but could only impoverish them. Paul labels the law and all its ceremonies as weak and beggarly. God's laws were beautiful in their time and place, but they are positive hindrances when substituted for the Lord Jesus. It is idolatry to turn from Christ to law. You know, the, the weak and beggarly things, and uh, I think it was John Phillips, he was talking about how you take a full-grown full man who's been eating prime rib and then he's turning from that, and he's going back to eating baby food, being fed out of a baby food bottle, you know, or a little jar of mush baby food. Why would you go back? <laughs> You're eating the good stuff now. You got the good, this is Jesus Christ, this is freedom, liberty, and now you're wanting to go back to that? You're wanting to go back under bondage of something? You used to be in bondage when you were in your pagan churches, but now you've been set free, and now you're trying to go back. Ten, you observe days and months and times and years. The Galatians were observing the Jewish calendar with its Sabbaths, its festivals, and seasons. Paul expresses fear for those who profess to be Christians, yet seek to find favor with God by legal observances. Because uh, verse 10 says, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Even unregenerate, unregenerate people can observe days and months and years. It gives some people intense satisfaction to feel there is something they can do in their own strength to win God's smile. But this implies that man has some strength, and, and hence, to that extent, he does not need the Savior. If Paul could write in this manner to the Galatians, what would he write to professing Christians today who are seeking to attain holiness by legal observances? Would he not condemn the traditions brought into Christianity from Judaism? A humanly ordained priesthood distinctive vestments for the priest, Sabbath-keeping, holy places, candles, holy water, and so forth. Verse 12, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are, ye have not injured me at all. Now, what does that mean? 
Apparently, the Galatians had forgotten their gratitude to Paul when he first preached the gospel to them. But he addresses them as brethren in spite of their failures and his fears for them. Paul had been a Jew under law. Now in Christ, he was free from the law. So he says, become like me, delivered from the law, no longer living under it. The Gentile Galatians had never been under law and were, not, and were not under it now. Thus the apostle says, I became like you. I, who was a Jew, now enjoy the freedom from law which you Gentiles always had. Though the Gentiles were never under bondage to the law. Now they had other bondages. You have not injured me at all. It is not exactly clear what Paul had in mind here. Perhaps he is saying that he had no feeling of personal injury as a result of their treatment of him, that they should have turned away from him to the false teachers was not so much a blow at him personally as a blow at the truth of God and thus an injury to their own selves. Yeah, it's, it would be, it's, it's very, it could be very easy for a preacher to preach such beautiful messages just to watch people do totally opposite. And that might be what he's talking about here. All right, uh, where was I at? 13? So think of love has been suppressed. So when, you, when you're in bondage, then your love, you, you, you're not going to love the way you should by being free. Okay? If you're giving out of guilt, instead of giving out of just love. You know, so the more you're doing things because of trying to look good to everybody else, and you know, you're, you're going to, the real love that you're supposed to have is being suppressed. Being, being under bondage to a law, well, that person's not doing it as good as I am. You know, I'm, I'm remembering these days. I'm remembering these, uh, you know, what are we supposed to be doing this Sunday? Let's look at the, the calendar and make sure we're doing all the right things at the right time of year. And that person doesn't even seem to know that it's whatever Sunday. <clears throat> so don't let your love be suppressed. All right, I'm going to read 13. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. Now notice what he said here. Ye know how through infirmity. Now you, you have the word iniquity, which is doing something sinful. But infirmity is um, just an ailment that you are suffering from that might hinder you from doing what God's called you to do. Now Paul had an infirmity. And let me read a little more. 14. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Wow. Now, we, we wouldn't want to tell people, hey, I'm, I am Christ, and I'm, I am Jesus. Look at me, and, and I'm, you know, whatever. You don't, we, don't, we would never do that. But we do say we're hid in Christ. God looks down on us and he sees Jesus. That's the only way we're accepted by God, when we're hid in Christ. But he is being received 
because he is a messenger, like an angel would be sent, they're receiving him in the same way. They're even receiving him in the same way they would receive Jesus by what he, all of this that he's doing for them. <clears throat> Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. So what, so what was this infirmity that he had? We're, we're never really told... We're told that he had a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed, I think it was three different times that he asked God to take it from him, and God said, nah, my grace is sufficient. Uh, you're just going to have to live with this. So, so he, he made this mention of that when I first brought the gospel message to you guys, you received me, you took it very well, you believed on it, you became Christians, and you felt bad for me, and you, you were so appreciative that I brought this message to you that if you could, if it were possible, you would have given me your eyes. That means his eyes were messed up, right? Now, if you go to the, the, the very end of this Galatians, this epistle to the Galatians, not the very end, but... Go to verse 11. Uh, this is the, uh, in 6.11 it says, Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. You, ever, you, ever, you remember that? Ever remember reading that in the past? Most of Paul's gospels, or epistles, he spoke them out and had somebody write for him. So, they would sign off on it. You know, he, he made sure that everybody knew it was him that was actually giving the message, but then other people, he had somebody assigned that would, would write it out for him because he couldn't see. But in this one here, he's so intent on making sure they understand this uh, trying to bring the law in that he evidently wrote this out himself. And because he couldn't see, the, the words were really, really big. Now, either he wrote all of Galatians and it took up a whole lot of material, or he signed off, of, signed off on it. I've heard people say, well, he, he probably just signed off at the end saying, yeah, this is me. I, I don't, I'm not sure. But it sounds to me by just reading that that he wrote, he wrote it this one himself. Now, there's places in the in, in the, the epistles that Paul wrote that where he said, "Be be careful, because there's people out there writing in my name, saying that it's me, but it's not me." So even back then, there was uh, changes to the word in Paul's day, and he warned them about it way back then. So we have to warn each other about those types of things. Watch out for the fake stuff. And then one of my favorite verses, 16. So he's talking about how he's, he's fussing at them because he's thinking, you received the gospel message so well, you were doing so good, and now look what you've done. 
And don't you remember that how you, was, you were willing, if you could possibly do it, you were ready to pluck your own eyes out and give them to me? You were so dedicated. But now, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I love that verse. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you but not well, yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing and not only when I am present with you. So, in, uh, reading out of this commentary, what accounted for their changed attitude toward Paul? He was still preaching the same message, earnestly contending for the truth of the gospel, if this made him their enemy, then their position was dangerous indeed. The motives of the false teachers, this is uh, coming in on verse 17, the motives of the false teachers differed from Paul's. They wanted a following, whereas he was interested in the spiritual welfare of the Galatians. You know, there's a lot of, of men who want to be preachers to get a following. See how many... You go, I don't do social media. I've never done it. But look at Facebook and all these things, and people are so into how many people are following me. How many likes did I get? Paul was not... Because Paul would go into an area, and he would, he would set up, he would get people in, okay, you're an elder, you're going to be the pastor of this church, and he was moving on, and he would go to the next place. He wasn't worried about having a following. He would just forget all about you. Once he left, you know, he would, as far as, you know, wondering if, you, if, you, if they still liked him or not, he, he would go away and he'd pray for them, but he was, re he was re ready to set up something else. And... Then he's come back around to these people. Like, look, I left you. When I left you, everything was good. Now look what you've done. Read Corinthians. What? How messed up they were. You know, I would like to go through Corinthians, but oh wow, people can mess things up. <clears throat> I can remember being at the jail. You know, going to going to doing Bible study and. All these guys in the jail, they were wanting to get my phone number, wanting to call me, and, you know, uh, and it was kind of hard because, and, and I always, at the, the start of it, it, it was like, you know, no, no, no. And really, going back in there, going through the, uh, um, what did I call it? Orienta reorientation. You're not supposed to do that at all. Never, ever. So, technically, Hildred should not be a member of our church. Lee, who got out of jail years ago, and actually came in, I put him to work. None of that's supposed to happen. It's not supposed to. You're not supposed to do that. And uh, I, under I understand why. But I've had plenty of guys they were wanting to follow. A person. And I was always telling them, look, 
I will disappoint you. And I've disappointed many of them. And they felt like they were rejected by me. And I'm like, I'm not here for you to follow me. I'm here to introduce you, introduce to you a person who will never disappoint you. He'll always be there for you. And that's Jesus Christ. So Paul was interested in the spiritual welfare of these Galatians. And because it made it in our Bibles, he, way back then, was interested in the spiritual well-being of all of us. The false teachers were zealous in their efforts to win the affections of the Galatians, but their motives were not sincere. They, they want to exclude you. That's part of what we just read. The Judaizers wanted to cut the Galatians off from the Apostle Paul and from other teachers. They wanted a following and sought to form a sect in order to, to get it. Uh, <clears throat> Stott, who is a, a preacher from way back, warns, when Christianity is turned into a bondage to rules and regulations, its victims are inevitably in subjection tied to the apron, apron strings of their teachers as in the Middle Ages. So in 18, where he said it's, it's good to be affected uh, for good things, and not only when I am present with you, Paul says in effect, I do not mind others fussing over you, even when I am absent from you, as long as they are doing so with pure motives and for a good cause. I really want to get to 20. Because right now, it's liberty has been, uh, loyalty has been subverted, is the last part of these three points, uh, 17 through 20. Trying to get you back to Jesus. Where's your loyalty at? Is it in men or is it in Jesus? So when you are you're, you, you get into bondage, your liberty suppressed, and your love uh, not suppressed but surrendered, but in your love has been suppressed, then your your loyalty will be subverted to a person or a group. See how how what happens? One thing leads to another, and next thing you know, your loyalty is to an organization or a person. And you, if that's happening, you stop it and you direct the person back to Jesus. So 19, my little children of, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. It's like I'm having birth to you all over again. The first time was bad enough. Are you going to make me go through this again? By calling the Galatians his little children, Paul would remind them that it was he who had pointed them to Christ. He is undergoing birth pangs again for them, not this time seeking their salvation, but rather that Christ might be formed in them. Christ's likeness is God's full objective for his people. And you can get that out of Ephesians 4.13 and Colossians 1.28. All right, the last verse we're going to do tonight, 20. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice 
for I stand in doubt of you. So he's, he's about ready to, uh, you know, talk a little rough with them. He's, getting, he's gotten frustrated. All right, 20. This verse might mean that Paul was puzzled as to the true status of the Galatians. Their defection from the truth had left him with doubts. He would like to be able to change his tone and speak with certainty and conviction about them. Or perhaps he was perplexed as to their reaction to his letter. He would rather be speaking with them in person. Then he could better express himself by changing the tone of his voice. You know, it is kind of hard to tell. You know, we have that in text today. Someone texts you something, and if you are imagining them at a certain tone, you can take it totally different than what they meant. So that's the trouble with writing something to somebody. It's different than speaking it to them because you see the tone in which they're presenting it, it changes it. If they were receptive to his rebukes, he could be tender. If, however, they were haughty and rebellious, he could be stern. As it was, he was perplexed about them. He could not tell what their reaction to his message would be. Since the Jewish teachers made so much of Abraham and, and insisted that believers must follow his example by being circumcised, Paul turns to Abraham's domestic history to show that legalism is slavery and cannot be mixed with grace. God had promised that Abraham would have a son, even though he and Sarah were too old, naturally speaking, to have children. Abraham believed God and thus was justified. Sometime afterwards, Sarah became discouraged waiting for the promised son and suggested that Abraham should have a child by her slave girl, Hagar. Abraham followed her advice, and Ishmael was born. This was not the heir promised by God, but the son of Abraham's impatience, his carnality, his lack of trust. Then, when Abraham was 100 years old, the child of promise, Isaac, was born. Obviously, this birth was miraculous. It was made possible only by the mighty power of God. At the customary feast and observance of the weaning of Isaac, Sarah saw Ishmael mocking her son. She thereupon ordered Abraham to expel Ishmael and his mother from the home, saying, the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. This is the background for the argument which the apostle now takes up. <clears throat> now that story you can find in Genesis 21. Uh, many of you may have already gone there and studied that in preparation, and we will get into that next week cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. It's an awesome story. And way back then, it was pointing to this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we love your, your good book, the sacred writings. And Father, we are so thankful that we have it, that we can hold on to your word. We can carry it wherever we go. We can open it up and read your words get, and get to know you even better.
And Father, I pray that we wouldn't just know you just from reading about you, but that we would have a relationship with you, that we would look to you for all of what we do here on this earth, that we would look to you and, and ask ourselves, what would be pleasing to our Heavenly Father? What would Jesus have us to do? And Father, as we live this life and, and we are being molded to be more like Jesus, Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that is with us and, and leading us. And Father, I pray that we would be a people that would not only be led by the Spirit, but we would actually walk by the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.